Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? Awesome. Y'all ready for Easter? Yes? No? I know uh, me and Sloan bought our boys Easter dresses this weekend. So just kidding. We didn't do that. Uh, you never know. It's 2021. Okay, but uh, sorry, that was wrong. Lord, I apologize. But hey, it is good to see you. Uh, man, what an awesome, awesome day it has already been. And looking forward to this week as we celebrate um, really walking towards Easter next Sunday together. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to be fully transparent um, in this. For some reason, like today being Palm Sunday, if you don't know what that is, we're going to really unpack that a little bit this morning but um, this year, for whatever reason, it just has probably played a more significant role in my life, just thinking and preparing for Easter in that, and I'm really looking forward to diving in today is, um, for Palm Sunday. But um, a couple reminders before we do dig in. One, um, we have created as a staff, as a church, something for all of us that beginning this afternoon, uh, we have, this is known as Passion Week, and we have created devotionals on all of our social media and YouTube channels that um, each of our staff members or a select few of our staff members each day. Um, this week leading up to Easter, we'll have a short online devotional. So just prepare our hearts for Easter. Check that out. Um, and then this Thursday at our downtown Simpsonville campus, we have um, what's called the Upper Room. And this will be in our worship center downtown. And this is a great time. We'll take communion. It's kind of a mix between, um, if you grew up this way, like a Monday, Thursday, and a Good Friday service. So it has that feel. Um, just prepare our hearts for that um, as we really walk through what is the final week of Jesus's life in Scripture. We celebrate that. We recognize that and, and do that. So check those things out. And then, of course, Easter Sunday. Man, what an incredible time. We have three services next Sunday, um, 8.30, 9.50, and 11.10. And just for safety, um, we're asking for those of you who call this place home to pre-register for that. So go on online. I told um, some of our volunteers this morning, we are still beating downtown Simpsonville and Harrison Bridge campus. So that is awesome. Yeah. And so, um, but uh, go ahead and use this as an opportunity just to invite. And just really from my heart, um, I know this because I didn't grow up in church when people check out a church for the first time, there are so many different thoughts that you have in your mind. Um, but for whatever reason, on Easter and Christmas, people check out um, church. And we want this to be an incredible experience uh, for families. And so um, be a part of that. Invite, invite, invite. And um, we hope that more people will call this place home. But, um, but anyway, let's dig into God's word together. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, we're going to look at um, really why this is called Palm Sunday and this entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem. And uh, you know me, I'm a visual learner and you get a little double whammy because last week I showed a picture of a beach house. It wasn't that pretty. Um, and so I'm going to show you another picture. And this comes um, thankfully from the Mahaffey's from Chris and Suzanne. So let's put up this first picture. Okay, this is uh, Jerusalem, all right, the holy city. And this is a picture from the Mount of Olives, all right? And so we're gonna see, we're gonna look and unpack this in Matthew 21, that Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem for this final week of his life and ministry before eventually going, um, being betrayed, arrested, um, and crucified on the cross. 
But let me kind of tell you what you're looking at here. And I've never, I've never been to Jerusalem. I would love to go. Um, and I know COVID has kind of put some restrictions on some stuff. And it's a um, quite interesting area, of course. But um, so you're looking at Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. In the middle of uh, the screen there, you see the wall. And this, uh, there's four sides of this wall. Um, um, into the city. There's eight different gates. We'll get to that in a, in a second. Um, and then in pretty much the center where you see um, the, the gold dome there, okay, pretty much the outskirts of that is called the Temple Mount. So over history, you know, the temple has been rebuilt several times under several rulers and kings, um, anywhere from Solomon to King Herod, and it's been built there. And, and it's kind of changed over the history, of course, as most um, places do. And then the gold dome there is called the Dome of the Rock. Now, this place in Jerusalem is probably the most contested religious site in the world. And um, because it's a pretty historic and significant place for Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And let me, let me kind of tell you why, okay? Well, one, I mean, Christianity... We believe that Jesus came to the city. Ultimately, he's um, crucified near here and all those kind of things. And his entry into Jerusalem, what we're going to celebrate or what we're celebrating today is a significant, significant role. But let me unpack a little bit. Judaism inside um, the gold dome is a huge rock. And at the time, it's very significant because a couple reasons. One, where that is was to said to have been an area known as the Holy of Holies, okay? It's the place where um, God lived and it was his presence and priests could only um, uh, go into the Holy of Holies a couple times a year and all these different things. And so um, that's significant, that's sacred to Judaism. But on this rock, you'll even, you can even see, um, and there's some great uh, YouTube stuff. Everything's great on YouTube, right? Um, not everything. Um, but, but there is an indention in this rock where the Ark of the Covenant was said to have been laid, okay? So it's, it's laid in there. The same rock is said to have been where Abraham, if you remember, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, where Abraham, God told Abraham to sac sacrifice uh, his son Isaac, and he was going to sacrifice him on that very rock. So that is Right there, it's, it's housed in the dome. Also, okay, because Abraham is kind of this connection to um, Islam in some regards, and so that plays a significant role. But also, this is the site where Muslims believe Muhammad, not only did he journey to Jerusalem, but he ascended to heaven in this spot. And so it's very contested. Um, it's very, it's fought over of who owns it, who rules it. It changes hands, all kind of stuff. There's all kind of things. But I wanted you to see a visual picture of this. Now, obviously, you know, when Jesus was walking and the disciples were walking, they didn't have like skyscrapers and cranes, okay? But I wanted you to see this and just know, historically speaking, um, Jesus is coming down and he sees from the Mount of Olives, uh, has tons of olive trees into it. Now, I want to point out one significant thing. This is kind of extra bonus, okay? You don't have to pay me extra for this, all right, or give me a tip afterwards. But go to the next picture. So on that wall that we just saw, um, there are, um, on all the, the entire perimeter, on all the walls, there's eight different gates. But on that wall, it's known as the Eastern Wall, there's only one gate in that. And it's the Eastern Gate. It's also known as the Golden Gate. 
um, or the mercy gate. In scripture, and especially in Acts, we see this called several times the beautiful gate. This is that gate. And on Palm Sunday, when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives and enters into the city of Jerusalem, he enters into this gate. You track it with me? Okay. So I'm just putting it in perspective that it wasn't just some like chain link fence gate that's like, hey, come on, you know, come to my house. Man, this is what Jesus is entering into. Now, on a side note, what's so interesting is that in the Old Testament, I, think, I believe it's in Ezekiel, that when Jesus returns, his second coming, it is said to, prophecy says that Jesus will return through this same gate. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Now, I don't know all my dates and stuff, but a couple hundred years, I guess, or so after Jesus, they, they've kind of gone back and forth, but ultimately the gate has been sealed, all right, um, from non-Messianic Jews and also uh, Muslims because they don't want Jesus to return through that gate. So it is reinforced with tons of concrete and rebarb. They have sealed up the, the gate. I wonder why, all right? They don't want Jesus to return. Now, let's just put two cents together. So if you're a believer, you think some rebar and some concrete is going to keep Jesus from coming through that, you know? Like, I envision, like, this thing, like, you know, like the rock coming through there, like Jesus all jacked up and he's just going to bust through those things, all right? He doesn't need some concrete and all that kind of stuff, but that's a side note. You know, I don't think that's biblical whatsoever. Jesus, but Jesus doesn't need that to enter in. Now, what's also interesting, um, and you, can, you can't see it from the pictures, but the Mount of Olives is also now um, not really a Mount of Olives. It's actually a very overpopulated cemetery, and you go home and look at it, do some homework, you will see it is like above ground coffins, like, like next to each other. It's like how, how they build homes in Five Forks, okay? And so it's like all over the place. And I mean, it is all over. And, and I was doing some research because I was like, man, why is that? And there are some beliefs that Jesus, I don't know, once again, I don't know, same thing, concrete wall, that Jesus won't come near that gate because of the cemetery. And so it's crazy. Look it up. But whatever, just want to kind of give you a visual because what we're looking at this morning is historically accurate. And it is so beautiful as we unpack it. I hope it just comes to life for you. But I want you to put your eyes on this because I would love for all of us to go, me included, to say, hey, let's go check this out ourselves. I've just heard the Bible just comes to life. And so this is kind of on the screen. Let's just kind of do that together. But let's read about this entry on Palm Sunday, why it's called that, and what we are experiencing in this um, in Matthew 21. All right, starting in verse one, follow along with me. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screens as well. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, so that's Jesus and the disciples, he came to Bethage and the Mount of Olives and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her and untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill, get this, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying. Now, the prophet is Zechariah here. We're going to look at that in a second. But the prophet said hundreds of years prior, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the fowl of a beast of burden. 
In verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and they put uh, on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd um, spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees. Okay, Palm Sunday, palm branches and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of God. Blessed is he who comes into, in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, and as we can see from this passage, I mean, he's been doing ministry for about three years. A lot of people have seen some things, have heard some things. They're expecting him in some ways. And so whether we like it or not, there's some people that know what's going on, some people that don't. There's some people that like him. There's some people that don't. And what I want to focus on just for a second is the response of the people here. Because if you think about it, the presence of Jesus requires a response. When we encounter Jesus, when Jesus shows up, which he does, it requires a response. For you and me, we can either worship, we can either love, we can either say, you know, I want a relationship with him, or we can say, you know, no thanks. I don't believe in that. That's mumbo jumbo. That's like religious stuff. I'll do that on Easter because that's what you're supposed to do in the Bible Belt of the South. But I really don't believe that that happened. Okay, and so it requires a response from us. And we see really three different responses in this passage. And we'll actually look over um, into Luke as well as the same story is there, just a couple different words. But let's look first at how the disciples responded. The disciples worshiped. Think about this. They're claiming Hosanna, you know, in the highest. They're going before. They're, they're laying down palm branches. They're, they're um, laying down their cloaks and just different things as he enters. It, it's really the entrance of like a king, right? That this king is coming in, and so they're worshiping. And that's because the disciples, they've seen firsthand who this Jesus guy is. They have seen for a period of three years, they have seen him have hard conversations but they've also seen amazing miracles. They've experienced Jesus up front and personal, traveling around from city to city, village to vi village, person to person, reaching out to the people who you would least expect Jesus to reach out to. I mean, this is the son of God. Why isn't he hanging out with all the religious people? He's over here, you know, meeting the needs and helping people who are blind who have leprosy, who are paralyzed, who actually need Jesus, right? And so he's going with them and they've experienced this as the disciples. And so he, he begins to walk into Jerusalem and they're like, okay, we worship him. They've experienced him in such a way their lives have been transformed. They believe, they have trust, they have faith. And so they are worshiping him. So that's their response. But then we look and we see the crowd. Now the crowd responds kind of both and. Some of the crowd goes ahead of Jesus and they're doing the same thing. They're actually worshiping. And so I don't know if in that point they just were kind of on the outskirts of things. They didn't really see stuff, but they heard enough from family members and people who have been impacted, like their friends, to say, you know what, I believe this guy. 
I haven't seen it firsthand, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm laying, I'm laying it down. I'm treating them like a king. You got to remember, culturally speaking, for thousands of years, the Israelites, the Jews in Jerusalem had heard about these things, that a Messiah is coming, that this great king is coming. And so maybe they didn't experience it firsthand, but they know it's real. And so they're doing that. But part of the crowd, if not the majority of the crowd, they, they respond with asking questions. It says that the city was stirred up and they asked, who is this? Who, who is this guy? I mean, could you imagine if we went downtown Greenville today? All right. And just down Main Street, you see me riding in on a donkey. And some of you, now this is cultish. Don't do this. Okay. It's weird. But like, you're like taking off your, your, your shirts and you're laying it down and you're waving palm branches. And I just come in all kingly, you know, on my foul of a donkey, you know, and I'm like, hello, I'm here, everybody. Thank you. It'd be like the weirdest thing ever. And certainly people would be like, who is this guy? And that's what the crowd's doing. They're like, who, who is this? Who does this guy think he is? Is he like this self-proclaimed king? Like, what are these? These, these people have drank, drank some Kool-Aid, <laughs> you know? Like, he's just, he's coming in and they're waving palm branches and putting down their cloaks. So they're honestly asking, who is this? And think about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's our world now. There's so many people asking, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he a prophet? Did he really, is he really the savior? Is he really king? Did he really come back to life? You know, this whole Easter thing? Is that like a fairy tale? Is that just a story that was made up? Is that a conspiracy theory of long ago? You know, all these different things. Of who really is this Jesus guy? And the city is responding. The crowd is responding that way. Now, you don't need to um, turn to it, but um, Matthew's gospel doesn't show um, this response, but in Luke, um, we see in Luke 19, um, it's up there on the screens too. We see the same story. Jesus is entering in and listen to what it says in starting in verse 39. So after they're worshiping and they're saying, blessed is king and Hosanna and all those things in verse 39, it says some of the Pharisees in the crowd. So you have the crowd, you know, you have the disciples, you have the crowd. And then within the crowd are these Pharisees. Now, remember, these were like the religious elite, you know, they're, they're the ones that upheld the Jewish law and all these different things. They, they, they really, they didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. They're trying to catch him in blasphemy and all these different things. And so listen to how they respond. It says that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, so they speak directly to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. So think about this. They're saying, hey, your disciples are worshiping over here. Can you rebuke them? Will you tell them to be quiet? They need to shut their mouth. Stop worshiping. And I love Jesus' response. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I mean, that's powerful. That is like, that's like a, the ultimate Jesus juke. He is saying, hey, I'm gonna tell you right now, if I tell them to stop worshiping me right now, you know what's gonna happen? The rocks are going to cry out. 
the rocks are going to worship. Now, I can't even wrap my brain around that because that sounds so weird. I think pet rocks are weird, you know. But think about this. God's creation, he's saying, if my disciples in this very moment stop worshiping me right now, the rocks are going to cry out. Creation is going to cry out because the Messiah has entered in and has started this process and started this journey to his death and and then resurrection. And this has to happen. And so the Pharisees, in their response, the Pharisees rebuked. The Pharisees rebuked. And this blows my mind about the Pharisees. They memorized the Old Testament. They knew the prophecies. And right here, as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, the prophecies are being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And they're so worried about the, the rules and the regulations and the legalism and fundamentalism, they totally miss Jesus in this moment. And, and I'm just going to kind of get on a soapbox here. Isn't that interesting that when we make things about, you know, it's Jesus plus all these things or the Bible plus all these things, we miss out on experiencing true life in Jesus. Now, the Pharisees, if they were living in 2021, they'd be like, that's not Jesus He doesn't have a King James only Bible, you know? He's not wearing his khaki pants and he needs to shave his facial hair and sandals in church, you know? Think about that. And it's so stringent in all these things, they are missing out on probably the greatest moment other than the cross and the crucifixion and then the the resurrection of Jesus. They are missing out on the most incredible moment of, of history because they're focused on these mundane details that aren't even relevant to this life and this abundance in Jesus. And so they're saying, hey, will you tell your disciples just to be quiet? He's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And here's what's so awesome is that in this moment, as I mentioned, prophecy is being fulfilled. And if you look in the Old Testament, there's about approximately 350 prophecies about Jesus, a half of them that have been fulfilled when Jesus was born and lived his life and died on the cross and was resurrected. The other half will come true after when Jesus returns. But all of these things have come true. And and God spoke through prophets and said things hundreds of years, thousands of years prior to the birth of Jesus that are coming true in this very moment. Now, I'll be honest. I don't understand all the prophecy. And for many of us, it kind of weirds us out a little bit. You know, you'd be like, oh, well, that's for like the more charismatic church. Or maybe you think of prophecies like reading a crystal ball and getting your, you know, fortune read or your palm read by Sister Anne, you know. But the thing is, it is so much more incredible and beautiful than that. To think that things were said through prophets thousands of years prior to Jesus coming, and now it's word for word what's happening. It is word for word what is coming true. And and Matthew does a beautiful job of laying out this fulfillment. And I love this because Jesus in this entry is really laying up his deity and his humanity in this moment. Think about this. Jesus knows his life is about to end. And being fully God and fully human hits this 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 spot right here as he's entering in. It's it's the beginning of the end that will then be a miraculous event in the resurrection. And so Palm Sunday is so beautiful. And I want to just point out, just in closing, 
three incredible things that prophecy in the Old Testament says about what is happening in this place. Because in this timeline, because right here when Jesus enters, there's really three ways for us to, to see Jesus. And the under, our understanding is that when Jesus shows up, God's promises become personal. All these things that happen in the Old Testament, think about it. Of the time, they're like, that doesn't really, I mean, that happened to our ancestors and it really doesn't happen. But then Jesus shows up and it becomes personal really, really quick. Because who he said he was, what scripture said he was, what prophets said he, he was going to do, and what he was, who he was going to be, it was awesome. And God promised those things, and it is becoming personal before our eyes. And in that, when Jesus shows up, you and I, if it requires a response, how are we responding in this? And this is what we see in this, um, in this entry. We won. We see Jesus is the king of kings. Now, I know that's churchy word. All these points are going to be super churchy, but it's in the text that we see that Jesus is entering in, right? And the pro uh, prophecy of Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. And he is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So think about this. The prophecy of Zechariah says, hey, this great king, the king of kings, he's going to humble himself in such a way. He's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now, that's not how most kings came in, right? Most kings are going to come in like on this white stallion and all, you know, the all this kind of, you know, sparkle and bedazzlement and everything before him and a little parade and all these things. But Jesus humbles himself. And if he was such a great king, it wouldn't make sense to the people to say, this isn't a king, he's coming in on a donkey. But how beautiful is that to show us the humility of Jesus, that he humbles himself as the son of God and on his way to the cross for us, that Zechariah says that in Zechariah 9, 9, hundreds of years before, says, hey, this Messiah, this king, he's the king of kings. He's righteous. And he, he has, he's bringing salvation. And he's going to be riding a donkey. Now, if this story was made up, don't you think that the prophets would say, he's coming in on a white horse. <laughs> he's coming in like this. It's going to be a big entry. But he doesn't say that. He says exactly what unfolds right here as he enters into Jerusalem because Jesus is the king of kings. We also see that Jesus is the savior. They are shouting out, Hosanna to the son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, Hosanna is a, um, a vocab term or word used to really worship, to really uh, adore it actually translates into more of save us. So he is the savior. They are saying, save us. Here comes this king. Save us. Save us. You are our savior. Isaiah in Isaiah 53, this is approximately 700 years prior to Jesus. And Isaiah 53 says this, surely he was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
All of us are like sheep that have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or sin of us all. So 700 years prior, the prophet Isaiah is saying, hey, the Savior is coming. He's going to carry my sin and your sin. He's going to be stricken with all of those things. It's going to, he's going to carry the weight of our burden in that he is going to save us. He is going to be Hosanna. And so I love this because they're, they're proclaiming it in Palm Sunday, waving these branches and worshiping him, saying, man, you're our Savior. And then third and last, Jesus is Lord of all. And as we saw that, he is Lord of everything. He created everything. And he says in response to those Pharisees that say, hey, just, can you tell your disciples to be quiet? He says, the rocks will cry out. I'm Lord over everything. I'm Lord over everything. I created it. I know it. I think it's kind of funny in some ways when he sends the disciples ahead and says, hey, go get this donkey. You're going to see it tied up and they ask you any questions. Just tell them the Lord needs them. Does the Lord need anything? No, he doesn't need anything. But I think it sets this precedent that he is the one who is in control. He has everything. I can only imagine the disciples in that moment. They're like, Jesus told us to go to this house. There's going to be a donkey. Okay. And they show up. They're like, Oh, he was telling the truth, you know? Like, they're act it's actually here. And this, this beautiful thing that God reigns over all things. But then on the personal note, that if Jesus, when he shows up, God's promises become personal, how have these titles as King of Kings and, uh, and, our, and the Savior and Lord of all, how have those resonated in your life personally? It requires a response from us. It requires a, okay, this is how I view Jesus in this moment. And so who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just some prophet? When, they're, when the crowd's asking, who is this? And they're like, uh, he's, he's the prophet Jesus. Is he just some prophet? Is some good guy? You're like, yeah, I, be, I believe in him. Yeah, I think he's, he died, okay, down on the cross. There's evidence of that. All right, that, that's it. Is it just stop there? Or personally speaking, is he your king of kings? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord of all? And, and what a beautiful time that today, going into Easter next Sunday, if you can't say that, if you're just like, man, he's just like a distant relative over here somewhere that I come and I'm, I'm in the South. You're supposed to go to church, supposed to read your Bible. But to be honest, I, don't, I haven't prayed. I haven't talked to God. I haven't read the Bible. And he's just kind of this distant, he's not really the King of King or Lord of my life. Man, I would ask you to, to consider doing that and making that commitment today. And I would love to talk to you. I'll be down here. You can talk to me here or afterwards, whatever you feel comfortable with. We can connect for coffee. But that is the greatest decision that you could ever make. And what a beautiful time, a perfect time to do that this morning. So if you want to talk, come talk to me. But let's pray, and then we're going to worship in closing together. Father, man, what a beautiful picture, God, of your son, Jesus. And I know I've been guilty of focusing on the birth of your son, Jesus, as we celebrate Christmas and the resurrection of your son, Jesus, as we celebrate Easter. But let us not neglect the power of this moment that we saw today when Jesus rides in as the King of Kings, as the Savior of the world, as the Lord over everything. 
And God, let our hearts, let our minds, let our actions respond like the disciples. Not ones that rebuke, not ones that are just questioning everything while it's okay to have questions, but let our hearts and minds just worship to say, God, you are everything. And through that, you give us the greatest hope in the world, this living hope that we can cling to, not just this temporary thing of life and the world and our jobs and false securities, but Father, that we can cling onto the greatest thing that you died, um, your son died for us, is our Savior, is our Lord, is our King. Let us make that commitment today as our living hope. Let us cling to that, that we see and we trust in you. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.